is Charlotte here, and you are listening to From Skirts to Scripts. This is not one of our usual episodes, which is why this is not our usual intro. This is actually a bonus episode that we recorded with another podcast called Cultivating Connections. In this episode, Alicia and I sit down with the host of Cultivating Connections, Brianna, and we talk about a lot of things. We talk about what led Alicia and I to start the podcast, what about the podcast is so important to us. We talk about women's health, feminism, history, all the types of things we usually talk about on here. And in general, we just talk about what it's like to have a busy life, what it's like to run a podcast, and what it's like to be a woman in her 20s. It was a really fun episode for us to record, and we are so grateful that Cultivating Connections edited this episode and sent it to us so that we could post it on our own podcast. So once you are done listening to this episode, I definitely recommend you go and check out Cultivating Connection. Cultivating Connection is a podcast series that works to discover what it means to be human and the many different ways that humans connect with each other. It's a fun podcast, and we had so much fun recording with them. Um, So enjoy the show. that doesn't feel good ever. So mm-hmm. kind of moving forward and being like, okay, I understand that in this moment, maybe I'm feeling overwhelmed, stressed, etc., and I can't fully choose to divert my energy away from school because that would give me a lot of anxiety. But where can I find a middle ground to try mm-hmm. to do that a little bit better? I think about that a lot going through school because a lot of people are like, okay, I'm gonna be so amazing once I finish medical school and once I finish my residency right. and then once I finish my fellowship and then once I start a private practice, like there's no end. Hi everyone, another episode of Cultivating Connection. Today I'm with Charlotte, Bill, and then Alicia. I do not remember how to say your last name. <laughs> I never actually told you, it's Cotian. I'm Alicia Cotian. Okay. <laughs> and they're both medical school students um, and they have their own podcast called Skirts to Scrubs. And their podcast is focused around women's healthcare and kind of bringing, tying that together with history and why things are the way they are now because of what did or didn't happen back then. So I love that and I'm excited to talk with them today. Charlotte and I worked together and we were seniors in high school at a kid's camp. (laughs) Yes, long time ago. (laughs) Yeah. Charlotte, do you want to talk a little bit about where you are right now and what got you here? I went to undergrad at the University of Michigan and studied neuroscience and classical studies. I've always been like really into history. I've like loved history since elementary school. So Mm -hmm. I knew that was something I wanted to do in college somehow. And then when I was in college, I discovered that medical history is really interesting. And since I knew I was pre-med and wanted to go to medical school, I really saw like the strong connection between medical history and medicine today and why like looking at history is really important for physicians and like how they approach caring for their patients. So that was something I was really thinking about in undergrad and wanted to figure out how to pursue in medical school. Like I was looking like, oh, maybe I can get a master's in it, or maybe I can go back later and get a PhD in it, or I wasn't really sure what to do. And then I took a gap year after medical school. I worked um, for City Year Detroit. It's an AmeriCorps program. And I worked in an elementary school in Detroit and tutored for a year until COVID. And then um, I am now in my second year of medical school at Wayne State University in Detroit. And I figured out how to bring medical history into my life through our podcast, actually. So um, yeah, I'll let Alicia introduce herself. We can get into why we started the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So I'm Alicia. I am a first year medical student at the University of Michigan. And I, similarly to Charlotte, I went to Michigan for undergrad. I studied neuroscience, but then my minor was in gender and health. So it was 
feminist studies, feminist thought, and the way that we incorporate that into healthcare um, and understanding that. And so that's kind of what I did then. And then in my gap year between like college and medical school, I also was a teacher, but I taught English in Spain. So I was teaching abroad, I was doing a Fulbright. And so I kind of was able to do that until COVID came home. And then Charlotte and I basically FaceTimed every single day of quarantine. <laughs> and yeah, and so yeah, now I'm just chugging along in my first year. We have a break coming up, which I'm very excited about. And we're just going to finish off the year. And next year, I start in the clinical realm, actually. And I'm going to be on the wards, like taking care of patients. So I'm really excited. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And so do you go to Wayne State, too? No, I go to Michigan. OK, great. Yeah. And are you guys able, are you like learning at the same pace? Oh, so it's interesting. So medical schools have different programs. Like even though you're ultimately always learning the same thing, like there's only one body, and like you're going to learn the same medicine different schools structure it differently. So like yeah. Alicia said, she's in her first year of medical school and I'm secondly in my second year, but we started at the same time. Right. So the way that Wayne State structures school is um, like an 18 month program for the first two years. So my second year started a month ago, but Alicia's program is the first year um, is like everything that I learned in my first two years, which is why she gets right. to go into clinics in the fall and I don't start in clinics until next year. So it's like, the same but different like we can talk about medicine and both know what we're talking about but we might not be in the same part of our like journey through medical school if that makes sense yeah no it does yeah and so like I was asking and thinking about how you probably did you study together a lot in undergrad yes yes we were both neuroscience majors so we took pretty much all the same classes yeah just maybe not at the same time but some of our like really hard classes we took at the same time Mm -hmm. and we would just sit sometimes to study we'd sit in like the library with a whiteboard and just fill the whiteboard yeah and talk (laughs) through things um but you know we did well and here we are so like it worked yeah and then how did that carry into like quarantine and you guys facetiming every day like what happened where you're like, I just miss you and I need to talk to you. Yeah. yeah. Well, like Alicia said, she was in Spain for a gap year. And so we would like call, we would text when I was walking into work. Cause I had to be at work at 7am. So I'd be like texting her. I was walking into work and she'd be like coming home from work in Spain. And then we'd be like, okay, catch up later. Yeah. So then over at quarantine, we had both basically lost our jobs like I mean we were both technically working online but like schools had no idea what was going on so really we weren't working we were just chilling and so we ended up FaceTiming a lot and we would talk about the most ridiculous things and we'd start joking like we should have a podcast like that'd be hilarious if we started a podcast together and we just like always joke about it until one day I was so bored I was like watching tv at two in the morning or something and I just I was like I'm just gonna brainstorm podcast ideas. Why not? And I like got out a notebook and just started writing down like things Alicia and I are both interested in and just wrote like this huge list. And then I remember like off in the corner, I was like, what about like medical history and like feminism together? Well, you had a tagline. It was the one liner that got me. And yeah. I can't remember what it was. It was I like, either. It was, it, it's something like what we say in the podcast, which is like two medicals, just two medical students trying to like, like use underst- history yeah use hint like, like use the past to understand mm-hmm. the present or something like mm-hmm. that and find their way in healthcare. yeah yeah something like, uh, yes like i did through hear a feminist that. lens it was yeah. something like that and i like facetimed alicia at two in the morning and she was like what do you want like i'm going to bed kind of thing that was not true <laughs> i was probably watching netflix yes yeah. but she was i was like i thought of a podcast idea and she was like you are literally crazy and i was like just hear me out 
And I like read her the idea and I remember you like flew out of bed, like eyes wide, like, oh my God, I was we like, have this to do this. this. is amazing. <laughs> I was like, this is perfect. Cause we've been jokingly like, oh, we should start a podcast about musicals. We really love musicals. Or like <laughs> yeah. Harry Potter, because we also love Harry Potter. But then <laughs> yeah. we don't know enough about those things. And there's a million Harry Potter podcasts out there yeah. and it just wasn't, yeah. But this is perfect. Yeah. And like the, one of the reasons we started thinking about running a podcast is because we both listened to the same podcast that we were like really in love with. Like we listened to a Harry Potter podcast called Potterless. That was like what got me into podcasts because yeah. of Alicia. And then we also listened to a podcast called This Podcast Will Kill You, which is an infectious disease podcast. And it's so fun. And like, so we were already like, oh, podcasts are so fun to listen to. Yeah. They talk about such cool things. Like we really enjoy them. Like that'd be really fun to do because we feel like we talk about fun things, just like the two of us. So yeah. it was funny how that kind of like rolled into us actually thinking about it and being like, wow, let's, let's actually try this kind of thing. Yeah. And so then when was this? Was this May, March? This was, in <sighs> I feel like this April? was April. So April? we're approaching our one year. April 2020. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because yeah, we, okay, so we, that night we were like, okay, are we gonna do this? We actually sat down and started like brainstorming in the middle of the night. And and then kind of for like two months, every single day, we'd sat down and FaceTimed and tried to figure out like what if we could actually do it, what would it take? Like, how would we organize it? Would we even have enough content to talk about? Right. And then also being like, okay, we're both starting medical school in two months. How are we gonna do this in school type yeah. of thing? So we spent a lot of time trying to like pre-plan so that when we officially launched and started, there wouldn't be hiccups along the way, which yeah. I think was super beneficial for us. Well, yeah, especially because like how many hours a week are you spending studying and in school? All um, of our time. <laughs> I would I say it's been like 10 to 12 hours a day studying. So yeah, it's a full-time it's like pretty job. Much More a, than a full-time job. The whole job. time you're awake. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah. So the podcast, like we record the podcast at like 10 p.m. at night, usually. It's like at the end of our study day, we're like, okay, let's sit down, we're going to the podcast, we're both sitting there like yawning, like, okay, we (laughs) sit together and record this really quick. I know. Even though it always ends up like being way longer than we meant because we ended up talking the whole time and having too much fun with it. Um, So yeah, it's like at the end of our day, usually, that we're doing this. And then what about preparation for it? Do you do research? Do you find like some extra stuff? Like how many hours would you say you spend just preparing? Yeah, I'm thinking, so the way that we set up the podcast in that like two month planning period was that we kind of anticipated that we were gonna be very busy. And so we decided to alternate who writes and presents the episode. So we kind of, will be like, okay, Alicia has odds this season. So, you know, I will pick topics. I do the research for that topic. And that way, when we're recording, you're actually hearing a live response of the other person learning about the topic because we wanted it to be really conversational and fun. And so mm-hmm. one person does all the research, the other person does not look. We don't even have time to look anyway, <laughs> yeah. but, um, and so it's really fun to hear. That's why we always start, oops, we always start with, um, what do you already know about this? And then we go on into, okay, here's what I learned. And sometimes sometimes the topics we know more about and sometimes we know nothing. nothing. Either the person who's listening might not know anything or the person who's presenting. Like sometimes I just pick topics that I'm interested in but I don't know anything about. And other times, maybe in a week where I'm busier, I'll pick a topic that I have some background in so that I know the story I wanna tell and I'll just fill it in with, gaps in the research I don't know what you do sharp probably same thing yeah so like the process like let's show each of our own episodes we both like kind of research for our episodes differently right. but I think we both 
kind of just do like a Google search of the topic. And then sometimes I'll try to look for more like scientific articles about things so that it come from more credible sources. Right. Sometimes those don't exist. So then you end up using like less credible things that are more popular sources that wouldn't be like considered academically credible, like whatever. Um, and we just do our research through there and start to yeah. like form like what kind of story do we want to tell? What kind of points do we want to make that's not just super obvious? Because I feel like one of our goals is like we're looking at history. We don't want to just tell you the history. We want to talk about why this history is important and like what lessons we can learn from it. How can you think about this like today? How can you think about it in healthcare? Like how can it benefit benefit patients? Or if you are a patient, like what can you think about when you go to the doctor type of thing? So we each research differently, but then we eventually like compile the research and form it into an episode. We end up like writing a script. That I don't think either of us stick to super strictly, but it's there so that when we're talking, we know what we're gonna say and like we have all the facts down and everything and then we paraphrase mm -hmm. as we go. Mm -hmm. But I was gonna say for work for each episode, like yeah, we, know. so like I have an episode coming out this week, like this upcoming Tuesday. So we record, I did the research, I wrote the episode, we recorded this week earlier this week, Alicia has been editing it and then she's going to send me the edits and then I'm going to finish editing it. Yeah. And then I'm going to fix up our sources. We write show notes for every episode. So if someone wants to go on our website and like be like, what is this episode about? And then you get like a Sparks Notes version basically. So then I'll write that up and then I'll make the Instagram graphic and then I'll post it on the website and then post on Instagram on Tuesday. And that's what we do like back and forth for every episode. And then Alicia updates the website. Yeah. So Alicia runs our web website and I run the Instagram. But other than that, like we just switch off for each episode. Right. And each yeah. episode is a different amount of work. But I think I do probably two to three hours of research for each topic that I do mm -hmm. because it's the research plus writing the script and, um, and then the editing. I guess if I sat down and did a whole first pass edit in one sitting, it'd take maybe an hour or two. Yeah, it's like um, so two I usually hours. break it up because mm -hmm. I don't have that kind of time. But yeah, well, and then add like making graphics into that and mm -hmm. writing uh, the notes from right. the actual episode and then adding it to the website. Does that add a couple more hours too? I think we've yeah. gotten pretty fast at that stuff. Yeah. Like the other half, because. For example, for the website, I have like a template that I use that I just fill in because every, I like to keep it consistent on the website. Mm -hmm. um, and Char, like you, I don't know how long it takes you to make your graphics, but you're pretty It quick. depends, I guess, like how, what, if I have any idea of what kind of graphic I want to make going into it. Like sometimes I'm like, I have no idea what to make for this graphic. And sometimes I have a good idea of like, oh, I want it to, like I knew we had the menstruation episode and I wanted it to be like a lot of red. So then I just went in and looked at the templates and literally typed in, we use Canva. So then I looked at like the Canva templates that had to do with red. And then I just go from there and kind of figure it out. And usually I'll like throw on TV or something. And so that I can kind of like get in watching whatever TV show I'm watching that I don't have time to watch and also work on the podcast at the same time. Um, so not a lot of downtime because we're either doing school or working on the podcast a lot. Yeah. yeah. But do you think it gives you a nice mental break? Yes. For yeah. sure. We actually took a break, like a longer break between our first and second seasons. In We took a break in the fall. Mm -hmm. And it was actually, when we got back into it in January, it was great. It was so nice. I remember yeah. we recorded our first episode and we were like, wow, we missed the podcast <laughs> so much. Yeah, yeah, because we took a break because we had been doing the podcast since we started med school and we were just like, we really need to take a break and just focus on school and figure out how yeah. to even do this. And so then, Three months later, we kind of figured out how to do med school because it takes a while to figure out how the heck to study like a million things at once. 
Um, so once I figured that out, we got back into the podcast. It's definitely a relief to work on it. Like my friends would be like, I have no idea how you're doing this. Like I'm so exhausted. I can't imagine like sitting down doing more work in my free time. And I'm like, but I enjoy it. Like I want to read about history yeah. and I want to tell people about it. And I want to talk about why it's important because those things are important to me. So it's almost like a relief to sit down and do it sometimes because it's so different than like the type of work we do all day with studying. Yeah. And it's actually like feels meaningful and like impactful. Yeah. It's enjoyable. I think that naturally we stray away from our hobbies. Mm-hmm. And yeah. like, you know, it's, I, I don't want I don't know if it's a form of self-sabotage or like mm-hmm. taking away things that we love to make times for other things that we love and we think that we need to balance. But it's almost like your podcast holds you accountable mm-hmm. to continue educating yourself on that hobby that you've always naturally been passionate about. Like mm-hmm. you with feminism, you with history, like you guys tie that together and that's yeah. like so powerful. And it, my gosh, how much of feminism comes from history? It's, it's deeply ingrained. Like the history of the feminist movements, plural, is really vast and it spans decades. Like, yeah, it's it's been like centuries, honestly. And what's really cool is that we think about the feminist movements as starting at a certain time, like in the early or I think it was like mid 1800s, 1800s time. Um, we think about it in that time period. But actually, what I love about our podcast is that because Charlotte brings so much like ancient history, one, she's rubbed off on me a ton. So I like <laughs> I always look at ancient history now in my histories and I don't have any background in that. But then also it's cool to look at ancient history and analyze that from a feminist lens of today because objectively, if you looked historically, okay, feminism started at a certain time, but really it's been millennia. And it's been, yeah, I would say that we've been there's been feminists from the beginning of time, but we just don't talk about them. Right. And yeah. it's interesting to look at like feminism through history because I think we've noticed a lot and we talk about like in ancient history, th- women had such a large role and were given like jobs and they were more not like centered in society, like it wasn't like a matriarchy or something, but women I feel like were appreciated a little bit more in ancient history. And then it moves into like the Middle Ages where you see oh a really gosh. big dip because of like the role of Christianity and different things that started to take over as a patriarchy. And then you see like women go down and then, but then you see the women fighting to keep their roles as surgeons or their roles as nurses. And you kind of like see all the ideas you view as feminism now happening mm-hmm. from like Alicia was saying, like from the beginning of time yeah. to now as different ideas changes, as empires change, as like everything was moving around in history as it does, you can see like women still persisting through it all, Mm -hmm. which is really special to start to draw that line and you can like see how it comes into today. Yeah, in every aspect. Yeah, like I was just thinking about it because I I like to watch a lot of history documentaries. Like Mm -hmm. I love the Roman Empire times Mm -hmm. and learning like way back then what people were doing because that shapes a lot of why we are, we are like who we are today. And I was thinking about how like, we're, we're going through another sexual revolution, mm-hmm. but it's only the result of like the down, like the, just mm-hmm. the sexual like stuff that was taken away from us. Yes. Mm-hmm. And now we're getting back to it again with, again, the loss of Christianity. Yeah, <laughs> like, a lot of it's about that, yeah. sadly. Yeah. yeah, and like it's, it's just so interesting to me that like back then in the Roman times, like things were so much more open and casual and fluid and like mm-hmm. people could do or say things uh, with, whoever and whatever they wanted and it was more accepted but now like 
we, I mean, for a few hundred years took that away from people. Mm -hmm. And naturally, it's always going to come back. It's just not, people aren't as suppressed anymore. And I don't know if you guys get to touch on that a whole ton in your episodes either, but Mm -hmm. it's just amazing the way like our culture has shaped things to take things away from people. Just it's either normal or it's not. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's hundreds of people who decide that and it makes hundreds of people feel hurt. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, that's definitely something that we talk about. We talk a lot about the secret work that people do in times where they're being oppressed or suppressed. Mm -hmm. And it comes up a ton of like, here's how people persisted and how people thrived in spaces where they weren't accepted. And that's like a big part of feminism too is like, Mm -hmm. Who are we bringing in? Who is making decisions? Who is not able to make decisions? And how do we reconcile that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we talk a lot about like who are the people in the background? Like um, the episode on plantation sick care. Yeah. We did about the black enslaved women who took care of everyone and were like there being healthcare providers and how they're not talked about and they're, they were in the background like being really influential and important and talking about those types of things in episodes mm-hmm. um, is what we really try to like bring in in the topics that we choose, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. Cause it's like who they are in their nature to care, to observe, right. to take, you know, to take ownership of someone else's health and to be there for them. Yeah. You just don't care about people. It's not gonna be in your nature to care for someone while they're sick yes. and to be there for, for sure. them. Right. It, that takes a whole lot of observing, even yeah. to be a good healthcare provider, you yeah. need to be able to observe listen and then take action mm-hmm. yeah yeah which involves being on a platform or in a role where you're allowed to do that too though yes yeah, <laughs> yeah. you have to have like an you have to be in the space of power mm-hmm. which is kind of difficult to navigate but also true and really important because mm-hmm. how are you going to make change you can start from the bottom up but you can also kind of take a top down lens and like use your privilege and we talk about that a lot is like who is privileged in the situation to end up in the space where they have access to these resources to pursue X, Y, or Z. That is a common thread throughout history, for sure. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I noticed like even in your episode about menstruation, you say people with uteruses. (laughs) Yeah. And so has that ever, has that kind of been difficult to navigate at all for you two? Like with having these conversations and also staying inclusive and making sure that you, you know, allow everyone else to feel like they can feel comfortable and listen to. Yeah, I think so. Like we try hard. Sometimes at the beginning of the episode, we'll say like, oh, we might say women we might say female. We might say people with uteruses, like just making a blanket statement of like, it all means we're using it all in the same way right here, even though we know people identify as different things. So I think it is difficult sometimes to make sure that we are being inclusive because we are trying our best to be as inclusive mm-hmm, as possible. Mm-hmm. But um, it's a le- I think it's a huge, huge learning curve for a lot of like for everyone right now to try yeah. to be more inclusive, but it's important. So we're just struggling through it as we go, trying to make it the best we can. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's the hardest thing about a podcast is that you're now like, you're global. Like Mm -hmm. anyone can access you and you're educating people. That's really powerful in itself. It's like, even if you're only getting 30 or 300 or 3,000 listeners, it Mm -hmm. doesn't matter. You're really impacting people. (laughs) To educate 30 people, it could be before it was standing in a room and educating 30 people. I was going to say, it's like a classroom. 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now someone can go back in five years and find your episode and, and listen learn. To it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's really powerful and making yeah. sure that, you know, you use your voice in the way that also represents who you are. You, mm-hmm. You're both very inclusive people. But if your language doesn't show that yeah. because it's only audio, mm-hmm. you know, you can educate someone wrong. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> For sure. And I think we we try, like Shara was saying, we, we try to be as inclusive as possible. But I do think that's one of the things that we're really try to, trying to work on. Yeah, um, sure. Because it's so challenging. And the last thing we want to do is, because we, we talk a lot about how intention is important, but the way that your intention lands is eons more important. And so we could say, oh, we're well-intentioned and that we're trying to be inclusive, but if that doesn't actually mm-hmm. play out that way and if people don't feel included, then our intention was a failure. And that doesn't, like, that's okay. It's part of the learning process, but it's something that we're constantly aware of because to be inclusive, of people of all genders, races, religions, et cetera. It takes a lot of forethought. And I don't know if, personally, I feel like I know that we have to make like our blanket statements at the beginning to try to be, mm-hmm. um, you know, as straightforward and upfront as possible. But I think we're still exploring ways that we can be better. For sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, something we recently talked about in episodes coming out soon is like, also we are, how to like approach language about healthcare providers, like we were talking about surgeons and had to keep saying female surgeons. And it's like, well, female surgeons are just surgeons. Like you don't have to call them female, you know, but that's a distinction that's made in the literature and it's made when people talk about it. So how do you circumvent that? Because it's so socially accepted to say female surgeon or, you know, female, whatever, or male nurse. Why can't you just say a nurse? Why can't a male, you know what I mean? So we talked about that like a little bit at our at the end of our last episode because we're like, how do you how do you break through that and start to make change while also making sure people still understand what you're trying to say mm-hmm. too? Because you don't want to lose people along the way because you're not saying the things they want you to, but then you don't want to be stuck in that way. So yeah, it's it's difficult, but we're trying our best and trying to figure it out yeah. for sure. Yeah, <laughs> I worked at the surgical ICU at U of M, and oh, wow. I was a patient care tech, so I got to be. I, I consider it a nurse assistant, but you know, the other technicians were like, we are not assistants for nurses. Mm -hmm. We are assistants for everyone. Like Mm -hmm. we're here for all the people. We're here for the doctors, the nurses, the patients. We're here for everyone. So that's Mm -hmm. patient care technician, more broad. Yeah. But that happened all the time. Mm -hmm. Anytime, you know, female surgeon, female surgeon, they're up there all the time. And there was one time, um, that I heard a male nurse say, and I just said male nurse. Yeah, exactly, you don't even think about it. (laughs) No, I don't think about it. But he was talking about how one of the surgeons was a bitch. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. you know, right away, one of the nurses says, you're only saying that because she's a woman. Mm -hmm. And she's like, I've never heard you call a male nurse a bitch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you wouldn't. And if a male nurse came, not male nurse, if a male surgeon came in here and he was acting the way she just acted, You'd respect him and yeah. you'd call him assertive. Oh, yeah. yeah. And you'd say he did what he had to do. You're calling her a bitch because she told you what to do and you right. didn't like that. Yep. Right. And, you know, the most amazing thing I think about working at U of M is the way that everyone is so accepting mm-hmm. and open. And yeah. so right away, you know, that nurse, he said, you're right. 
I, d- I guess I didn't think about how I would never call a male nurse or a male yeah. surgeon uh, all over yeah. the place, a nurse surgeon. But they said it. I'd never yeah. call a male bitch. Yeah. yeah. And I would not think of it like that. And right. I just love how they teach each other, how they learn from each other. Yeah. And I think it's really powerful how you guys are even trying to be mindful of that. Mm-hmm. I think we go through that too. We'll be like, oh, we made the mistake by saying that and realizing like, yeah. oh, we need to grow too because mm-hmm. we're not perfect no, at all. Like not. us mm-hmm. making the podcast isn't perfect. We're not doing it perfectly. Like we realize our mistakes as we go and say like, okay, next time we need to be more inclusive about this. Like we're trying to be more inclusive of different cultures. I feel like a lot mm-hmm. in this season because it's really easy to go to ancient history and be like Rome and Greece because they're written about so much. The literature's there, like it's really easy to access. It's really hard to find sources on other cultures that aren't so publicly researched or talked about. And those are things we're trying to be better about. And I think we realize, like we start to realize those things and we're trying to bring it into those, our new episodes. That's beautiful. (laughs) I like that a lot. Cause there's so much, even with like African culture, that's just so deep and it's not documented. Yeah. Cause who did the documenting? Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Or if it is documented, it's skewed thoughts too. Yeah. Because maybe it was like an English person who's exploring Africa and then documenting it with his or her point of view. Yeah. So then you have to think of the points of view and what you're bringing into it. And like, we talk about that, like, oh, our points of view are, are skewed because we're in medicine and because we already like we were talking about periods and how we feel like we can easily talk about menstruation and periods because we're used to it and we learned about it and like everyone else around us Mm -hmm. talks about it but maybe not everyone like who's not in the field of medicine feels comfortable talking about it like we just have to realize how you're biased based on like where you are in the world Mm -hmm. yeah and i i think it's great that you bring up that point because i've noticed that throughout my life is like my family's generally in medicine and so my cousins all Mm -hmm. of us were really open about like when we talk about our bodies and mm-hmm. what, what we go through. And I think that as I've gotten older and older, I realize there's just so many people who like don't have those conversations. They right. never had them with their parents. They mm-hmm. never talked about sex. They never talked about their periods. They never talked about any of that. And so then if you ask them about it, cause I'm so open sometimes I'm like, oh yeah, and what about this? Or I talk about myself and I still notice people blush and I'm yeah. like, I forget that this isn't normal. Right. Yeah. I've yeah. been actually thinking about that a lot in my interactions with patients because mm-hmm. since I'm getting ready to enter the clinical space, I've been thinking about the ways that I interact with patients and how I'm so used to being so open and pretty general and just honest about different things that might feel uncomfortable. And so it's important in that realm too of being mindful of the general population and the people that we're serving Mm -hmm. and how they are coming from not our background at all, Mm -hmm. um, considering cultural norms, considering gender norms, considering wherever they're from and meeting your patients where they're at. Because the last thing you want to do is push away a patient because you are being too forward thinking that, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, for example, very progressive. But like if I'm talking to a more conservative patient with conservative beliefs, I have to meet them where they're at and not push my own beliefs on anyone because that's not acceptable. Mm-hmm. And that's not what you want out of your physician or any kind of healthcare provider. That's yeah. not the way. For sure. So we've been thinking about that too. That's that's really awesome to think about. Yeah. Cause I don't know. I don't think I think I do though. I love how open you are. <laughs> Like I told Bill right away before I met you guys, I'm like, I can't, I was like, I know Charlotte mm-hmm. and I'm excited to see Charlotte. I was like, but Alicia's really open. And I, said, I was like, even one episode, you kind of go back, you you correct what Charlotte said. Um, she said a last name wrong and you go, hi everyone, real quick voiceover. <laughs> 
like Charlotte meant to pronounce this name like this. Yes. Okay, thank you. <laughs> okay, <laughs> like, bye. And you're talking. I am so b- bad at pronouncing stuff. I'm like, okay, <laughs> just bear with me. It's just like, I'll just tag in. It's yeah. fine. Oh, it's so cute, though. Yeah. It always happens. Like, it happened in the episode I'm editing right now. You said something, someone's French last name, and she's like, but uh, uh, French word. I don't know how to say that. <laughs> and then she moves forward. <laughs> I was like, I'm so sorry, but I can't. Yeah, but uh, it, like uh, the thing about you is that I feel like you're not, you know, it's not wrong to actually correct someone, right. you know, and it's not just correcting. Like Charlotte's not going to be like, wow, she went back over and <laughs> yeah. she said, this is how you pronounce it. That made me look silly. Mm-hmm. No, instead you're like, oh, this is actually how it's pronounced. Right. And yeah. then everyone can learn more from it. And yeah. so, yeah, I, even with your own patients, it's not that you need to completely like dilute who you are or your thoughts and opinions. It's just the gentle like question. Mm-hmm. Right. I think it's I think also something that we try to do is come at things when topics are maybe more sensitive, we bring our own perspective to it. So it's like, I believe here's what I've thought in the past, but mm-hmm. that's not how it's not universal. Mm-hmm. And that's acceptable. That's okay because you know, we all live in our own spheres and we live our own lives and so we come to spaces with our experiences and we have to share them from our view. Yeah. But it is yeah, Charlotte is we both <laughs> teach each other so much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um and I think there's an art that we're all practicing um of giving feedback and how we can be gentle and really support and like love each other, but also give constructive feedback. Because mm-hmm. I think the worst kind of thing is wanting to hear feedback and then getting... People are like, you're great, it's fine. No, I don't want to hear that. <laughs> yeah. One, it feels disingenuous. Yeah. Two, I would love to hear real tangible ways that I can improve because that's what mm-hmm. we're trying to do. So I, I'm always open to feedback and I think that that's something that we are going to get a lot of too. So you have to just be open to it because mm-hmm. being defensive is only going to hurt you and everyone involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. But it's really hard when you do give feedback. Someone asks for it. You do give it and then you can tell they're upset. Yeah, <laughs> I know. It's a fine line. You're yeah. like dancing on a tightrope. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's okay to be upset from the feedback and then you have to like kind of take a step back and be like, okay, I'm upset right now, but I know that this is something maybe I need to think about deeper and like reflect yeah. on and maybe yes. I can change something so that next time that doesn't happen or I don't get the same like adverse feeling from it. Yeah. Like, yep. Just part of the learning process. I know for like in my school, we have to evaluate ourselves after something. So it's hard to sit down and be like, okay, how did I do in anatomy? Like, how did I interact like in lab and how did I interact with my peers? And I know I have I think I have to do an evaluation this weekend on that. That's like, how are you doing in medical school? And you have to submit that feedback on yourself so the school can like see how all the people are, like all the students are feeling about themselves. That's kind of hard sometimes, sit down and be like, this is hard or this is that and just not be like, oh, everything's fine, I'm okay. Yay, 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 kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you know, I wanna dive a little bit into this too, like why you're at U of M and why you're at Wayne. Cause Mm -hmm. I can see a lot of like, I don't know if it's personality, mm-hmm. but personality and where you guys are. I know Detroit's like a big passion place for you yeah. too. Mm-hmm. And so being in Detroit, being next to the place you got to be in the summertime where you worked and you know, for you, like, I don't know if Ann Arbor is like a vibe, but yeah. <laughs> Ann Arbor's always been a vibe. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, do you want to go Shard? Yeah, I, I guess I'll say, so one for applying for medical school, some people say the best med school is the one you get into also 
So we're both lucky enough to choose which med school we wanted to go to, yeah. but not everyone gets that opportunity. Um, so I'll say that I personally chose to go to Wayne because Wayne is extremely focused on service work and service work is like a huge part of who I am. It's like pretty much everything I did in college. Like I didn't do research in college. I did like a tiny little bit, but not really. I really just did service work and that was something I wanted to do in med school. It's part of who I want to be as a physician. I want to be a physician who works directly in a community, works with nonprofits, is part of that realm. And that's exactly the kind of positions that Wayne State like pushes out, basically. Like everyone I know is running a free clinic in Detroit, like all of my friends. And everyone does service work on the weekends and just everyone's really dedicated to working into the Detroit community. And that was something I saw when I was interviewing at Wayne and thinking about it and talking to people that went there. And I was like, I can really see myself here, be, like achieving the goals that I want to as a physician, because that's a big thing when you're choosing what medical school to go to. Because like I said yeah. earlier, you can, you're all gonna learn the same thing eventually, but all schools have different missions. They're trying to produce different types of physicians. They all have different goals. So you wanna go somewhere that's really gonna reach your goals. And Alicia and I are very similar, but also very different in that the type of physicians we wanna be are different. So that's, I think, shows a lot of like what medical schools we decide to go to as well. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, yeah. I similarly, I mean, every I echo everything you say. Yeah. Like, the school that you choose should be a reflection of your values. And it's mm -hmm. not to say that you wouldn't, or that you don't value things that other schools have, but there's a fit aspect. And mm -hmm. I think med schools are working towards trying to find that fit as well. Like they wanna choose you and cultivate a class that is balanced and like beautiful in that way. Mm -hmm. But you also have to choose the school. And I, yeah, we both like, had options, which is very lucky. And we are very fortunate to have had that experience. Mm -hmm. But when we made our decisions, like I personally made my decision because um, several reasons. I think there was like logistical things that I enjoyed about Michigan. Like I really, I'm a very fast paced kind of person. I'm very action oriented and I like to kind of push everything. I like to front load my work. So this my curriculum is literally that because mm -hmm. most medical schools will do one and a half to two years of like preclinical book work and then they'll do two years in clinic michigan does one year of preclinical book work and then three years in clinic mm -hmm. and i really like that idea of like getting done with the book work so i can be in the space that i have been trying to get into this entire time mm -hmm. so i like that aspect of it and i think that was one thing but the other part the bigger part is that when I interviewed at Michigan and from what I knew about the school, there is so much passion in the students and in the administrators and people at the hospital. Like you were even talking about it before, like mm -hmm. Michigan is so inclusive and it's true. Like we, when we introduce, introduce ourselves to patients, we say, hi, I'm Alicia. I'm a first year medical student working on your team today. My pronouns are she, her. And then you move on from there. Like you, mm -hmm. we are working actively to try to be inclusive and it is a huge hospital system. So, you know, we're working, but <laughs> I think that was something that I got from the school right away is like every student, all of my classmates have so much passion for the things that they love. And it doesn't have to be everything. In fact, it shouldn't be because if you really love everything, that's wonderful. But I think Michigan tries to curate 
and have a class where collectively we can cover all breaths and all spaces. Mm -hmm. And so I really love that. Like some of my classmates are super passionate about health policy and they wanna make change from a top down level. Some of my classmates are really into engineering and they wanna work on prosthetics and, and do things from that patient perspective. Others are really like um, equity oriented and they're working from the ground up at free clinics and mm -hmm. um, running programs and just like, what's that called? Grassroots work. Mm -hmm. um, and then others are in the humanities and cultivating those ideas and becoming like physician, like practitioners. It's, it's wonderful. And so I think I wanted to find my niche in that because I also am really passionate about like certain things. And I know that I could give myself wholly. Mm -hmm. And I feel like Michigan cultivated that out of me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I can see that. I can feel yeah. that from both of you. That's really awesome. And yeah. like, you know, what about where you grew up? So mm. I know where you grew up. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a lot. I loved coming to college and being in Ypsilanti and being so close to Ann Arbor and like mm. the things I got to learn about people, the way the world works, the friends I made. It just changed everything about who I am. And I never would have had that experience had I stayed in my hometown. Yeah. Um, and so it just means the world to me. I know I'm a better person because I left and I went to college. And so right. what about that, like being immersed in your actual cultures too? Yeah, I would say like moving to Ann Arbor, like I had never met anyone who was Jewish, which seems like such a simple thing to meet someone who is of like, who is Jewish. Yeah. But in Ann Arbor, like everyone's Jewish. So like, that's just a really tiny, small example, but like, it's just crazy how when you moved somewhere, especially like a big college town, like your spaces become so much more diverse. Yeah. Not saying Michigan's perfect at all. Like I still think even being in like what I considered more diverse space was not even nearly as diverse as it could have been. Sure. As then I went and like worked in city or in Detroit and that was for sure the most diverse space I've ever been in. And I feel like I learned a lot from that too and was really reflected on like experiences I've been through and how I view the world and like how that's different from my coworkers and like just the huge, um, just everyone I was around had different ideas and beliefs and like the ways they saw the world. Um, but I will say from those experiences of being in Ann Arbor and then working in City Year, you learn so much from having different people around you. And I remember like my, me and my coworkers were really close in City Year. Like we were really good friends and we were all just extremely different. Like I don't think one of us were like the same or similar in any way. And I remember one of my coworkers, he said that he felt so close to us in ways he never felt with any of his other friends because because we were different so every day he felt like he was growing as a person mm -hmm. because he was learning from everyone just through casual conversation about the most random things but he was just like i feel like every day i like grow as a human and become a little bit more accepting and more understanding of other people which i think is something like you said like i don't think i would have had that experience if i hadn't gone mm -hmm. to college or like left bay city and things like that yeah. So I think those were really influential spaces to be in. Yeah. 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 I know you yeah. love City Year. You would always talk to me about it and how we wouldn't be FaceTimed every day. Yeah. Quarantine. <laughs> it was like, oh, I miss my coworkers. I miss the yeah. perspectives that they brought. It was so wonderful. Um, and I mean, that's what I love about you of many things. But it's Charlotte's so open minded. And I think that's like one of my favorite things about her. Oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> but I grew up in West Bloomfield, so not that far away from anywhere from <laughs> Ann Arbor specifically. But um, I, yeah, I grew up in West Bloomfield. I went to Bloomfield Hills School. So I recognize that I came from a really privileged background 
And that's something that I think about often in the ways that I interact with other people. And I think where I grew up though, I think I, it's funny because, so I have a younger sister, she's six years younger than me. And in my mind, she's so much more self-aware and so much more like woke than I am. Cause I think when I <laughs> she's was- Gen Z. She's Gen Z, <laughs> yeah. that's why. No, but she's so cool. And like the way that she kind of goes through her high school experience and, as I like look at her and reflect on mine, I just feel so much more complacent in a way. Like mm -hmm. I kind of took the things that I had to do and I did them and I kind of chugged forward. And I don't know if I really, I didn't pursue passions the way that I do Me now. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really know what that even looked like. Um, and something that I think about is, you know, I'm Indian American, my parents are immigrants. They like grew up in India, they moved here and so, they are people that I consider in all of my decisions. And we grew up, you know, in a very white suburb. I knew a lot of Jewish people because there's <laughs> yeah. a lot of Jewish people in Bloomfield Hills. Um, but, you know, it was wonderful to be in their space. But the thing is, it was a very white space. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I grew up in. And then I came to Ann Arbor and I connected with other Indian Americans and I didn't realize how much I missed that or even needed that because mm -hmm. you know you you exist in the space that you exist in and you feel fine until you go outside of it question and then wonder like oh what could my life be like mm -hmm. could I feel more accepted could I feel more like I belong and it doesn't mean that it has to be specifically like your cultural identity or where you're from can make you feel that but you find that in other people and I really really love the idea of found family I think everywhere that I go I try to cultivate that and so I found that in Ann Arbor I found that in the six months that I lived in Spain and like I find that in medical school and so you can always find connection and foster connection but you have to actively search for that and it's easier when people are already similar to you. Mm -hmm. And so I think like as I move forward, like out of my hometown and onward and upward, I, I try to cultivate that in like everything that I do. Even then, do you ever, did you ever think about like how your parents could have had that with other people too, had they been by more? And like you yeah. get to meet people who you're like, oh my gosh, like your parents sound like mine. Yes, <laughs> that's refreshing. That was a fun experience. <laughs> All right, my favorite was that, so I joined like the Indian American Student Association in undergrad, which we just had like a basically a big dance show at the beginning of the year. And I was- the coolest was, dance It was show so fun, I yeah. loved it. But I wasn't a dancer growing up, but you didn't have to be to join this show. And it was just fun, honestly, to connect over little things like Bollywood movies and like music that I grew up listening to. And just, yeah like little things it, mm -hmm. it really was nice and I think my parents would have benefited from that and I think they would have enjoyed that a lot and it makes me think even more about the sacrifices that they made for me in that they put all those things kind of aside or on the back burner not that their mental health or like well-being didn't matter to them but we mattered more mm -hmm. and we were that for them so mm -hmm. In a way, like they're very happy, but not for the reasons that I am happy in the spaces that I'm in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I hear a lot from friends and family who like, you know, their family, their generational immigration, and they, a lot of people come to the United States and then they are not even proud of where they initially came from. They're like, we are American mm -hmm. now. Like, mm -hmm. you will be American. 
And that and alone, like that suppresses so much culture yeah. that could have existed, so many family traditions mm-hmm. that could have been a lot of fun. And I think about like, well, what are the American family traditions? It's like not super healthy, <laughs> yeah. like yeah. eating pizza on a Friday night, yeah. watching a movie. Um, you know, it's not like it's not like a ton of people say, oh, we go out and we garden together on the weekends. Like, yeah, that's so funny because I'm literally gardening later today. <laughs> yeah. And I'm getting into gardening. But I, you know, especially in college, I started growing up and I'm like, oh, it'd be cool if one day I could do this, if one day right. I could do that, if one day, one day, one day. And I just... I don't know. I started grad school and I had gone through some pretty life-changing things right before grad school started. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, whoa, if I really go down the route that I've been going the past few years, I'm never going to do those things. They're always going to be one day things. Mm -hmm. That's the big difference. Like what you say about Gen Z and your sister, it's like, they're actually doing it. They are. If they're curious about something, they have access to the internet. They're mm-hmm. just going and learning. Yeah. And even though I've always had access to internet, I've always had YouTube, mm-hmm. I never thought about how I really could just go on YouTube and learn a passion. Right, yeah. <laughs> so I think that's huge. Like, for, I think about that a lot going through school because a lot of people are like, okay, I'm going to be so amazing once I finish medical school and once I finish my residency right. and then once I finish my fellowship and then once I start a private practice. Like, there's no end, you know, like it never ends. Like my dad has been a physician for 20 years and still has to take tests and study and yeah. continuously learn. Like, and that's not just for healthcare. Like every job's like that. You're always gonna have a next step and like a new promotion or whatever. There's no end to working. So it's it's hard to say like, I'll do that later or I'll like figure out right. that passion later. I'll right. read that book later when I have time. So one thing I'm really trying to practice in med school now is like making time for those things, like making Mm -hmm. time for the podcast, but also I'm trying to get back into reading. Like I really enjoyed reading before I went to college and then I got too exhausted in college to read and then I found the same med school, but I was like, I miss reading. I want to read books. And so I've been trying to find, you know, what motivates me to sit down and read at the end of the day or like what can I do to actually see my friends and trying to make it so that like realizing that you're still living your life while you're doing these things for your career or whatever, like is taking up all of your time. It doesn't mean you have to put off your life until 10 years from now type mm-hmm. of thing. Yeah. Cause I've also in high, like high, you'll look back and wish, and that's the biggest, that's one of my fears is like mm-hmm. looking back and regretting cause that doesn't feel good ever. So mm-hmm. kind of moving forward and being like, okay, I understand that in this moment, maybe I'm feeling overwhelmed, stressed, et cetera. And I can't, fully choose to divert my energy away from school because that would give me a lot of anxiety but where can I find a middle ground to try Mm -hmm. to do that a little bit better and I think communities have helped personally like me a lot and my friends like hold me up a lot and especially medical school I think like this idea of found family has been crucial because Mm -hmm. they're the ones who like get you through the hard times and med school is kind of like a pressure cooker (laughs) so you know sometimes we pop but like most of the time we're just cruising yeah okay family sometimes family pops (laughs) oh yeah yes yeah yeah like I think the realest friendships are the ones where you can actually be yourself and then just trust at the end of the day like they're gonna love you still and especially in intense environments like school Mm -hmm. you got to be able to talk to each other because how are you gonna learn if you can't learn from each other if Mm -hmm. one person's always right then is everyone else wrong exactly yeah yeah and I think You know, and I got myself into that a lot in undergrad. I was studying with a lot of people who 
they wanted to go to medical school and I wanted to go to grad school. Mm -hmm. So we, we took all of our classes together, we studied together, and the attitude got to such a point by our senior year that we were all burnt out. Mm -hmm. Like we were all burnt out and getting together just meant getting together and complaining about how tired we were. Yeah. Um, and that's just, it's so contagious yeah. because- and it's the, really easy to just sit down and talk about school. You know, like I feel like yes. a lot of times when I'm with my friends, we'll be like, no school talk. Like we're not talking about school. Or like I had an exam yesterday. So then my friends and I hung out, we went to dinner after, and we were like, we're not talking about the exam. Like we don't want to think about it. We just want to live life right now yeah. and not have to think about school. Like even though we spend all of our time studying together and we spend all of our time doing this and that together. Like, yeah, it becomes toxic when you keep talking about the things that are stressing you out. Because that way when you are with your like found family, you're not helping each other. You're right. just like bringing each other down even more. So yeah, yeah, I totally see that. But if you don't have any hobbies, you might actually not have anything to talk about exactly. other than school. Yeah. And I've been at that point yeah. <laughs> where like, you know, people who I hadn't seen in a long time, they'd say, how are you doing? And like, all I, the first place my brain goes was I'm really tired because mm -hmm. all I do is study. Yeah. yeah. Oh, for sure. I've also <laughs> reached that point. I remember a specific example, like I was studying for the MCAT, which is like the entrance exam for medical school. And I remember I went to Chicago for a weekend to visit a friend and I had like, I, had, I hadn't seen this friend in a really long time and he asked me, oh, how are you? Like, what do you do? And all I wanted to talk about was this stupid test. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I'm studying for the MCAT. And then he was like, blah, 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 blah. We were talking and he was like, oh, why do you want to be a doctor anyway? And then I don't know what answer I gave, but it was terrible. And <laughs> that's when I was, you were like, I'm waiting a year. <laughs> that's why I was like, I'm clearly not doing well. And it's like interesting, Rihanna, that you bring up, ooh, that you bring up this idea of burnout. And like, obviously burnout is super, super real, but the question is, I mean, I personally have been noticing it manifesting in different ways for me. Mm -hmm. Like, I think I'm feeling like really tired in school right now because I've had just a really long block and I have spring break in a week, but getting through this next week is can be tough. But I feel myself burning out in different ways than I'm used to. So I'm actually curious for both of you, like if you notice any ways or signs that you're maybe burning out or that you're tired because for me it's that I don't my personality doesn't change which is good I'm thankful for that but mm -hmm. my I dropped the ball on a lot of things mm -hmm. like I almost missed like a important zoom call yesterday like two days ago because mm -hmm. I just didn't even realize it was a small thing but it's the little less important things that like go first they just like drop out for me yeah um, and that's how I'm I know I'm really really tired yeah yeah I'll yeah. I was going to say for me, like, Lucia knows, I'm a very introverted person. Like, I love hanging out with people and seeing people, but seeing people is exhausting for me. And I, being alone recharges me so that I can go out and see my friends and do things. And sometimes I just need that alone time to recharge. But I feel like when I feel like I'm burning out, I need more alone time than I would previously need to recharge. Like, I just need, like, extra recharge time which is hard when you're in school and you only have so much time to see your friends and then I'm like I could stay home and like feel better the next day or I could like see my friends I haven't seen in weeks so it becomes this like which one do you do and then when you're burnt out you're like I need to take a break though too um so that's why I feel like where I see it manifesting in myself so then I try now I like try to take more time during the week to just do whatever I want to do at night or like stop studying early in the night so I can have time for myself and just like centered with myself again so maybe the next day or two days later I can go right. and see my friends in the afternoon yeah um, to help with the burnout but yeah mm -hmm. yeah it's a little similar for me in the way that like 
I definitely, the idea of being with people is really hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's really hard because I think talking takes energy. And especially, yeah. I love to be intentional when I'm with people. So when mm -hmm. we get together, it's either going to be while we're together, I'm thinking about how I just want to go home or I'm, I actually allow myself to get into it and we end up talking for like four hours instead mm -hmm. of one. And then I'm like exhausted after it, but grateful that I did it. Yeah. So I think the biggest thing for me with burnout is like, I'm going to bring food into that too. Mm -hmm. I will start thinking, oh, do I want to cook or do I just want to lay in bed? Mm -hmm. And when I start noticing, oh, I want to lay in bed, I'm like, okay, that's a problem. Mm -hmm. yeah. Get out of bed, go cook eat that nutritious meal and that's like kind of huge for me too is actually challenging myself to do the things yeah. that I know give me energy and I'm perceiving them as taking my energy away yeah. but I'm so bad with scheduling when I feel burnt out yeah. Yeah. I forget everything <laughs> yeah. I forget what people tell me I forget conversations that are had and that scares me. <laughs> me too. I was genuinely concerned. This I am not a napper, but I slept so much last weekend. And my friends were like, are you okay? And I was like, I don't know. I think I'm fine. Question mark, question mark. Your brain's just so tired. Yeah, yeah. And then I was like, I don't know what happened. Maybe I've just been sleep deprived. But then like the week progressed and I like kept forgetting things that I needed mm -hmm. to do. And I was like, something's wrong. And I think I'm just really tired. I talked to a couple of my friends like, and I was just really honest about it. I was like, these weird things are happening and this is not me. And they were mm -hmm. like, yeah, this is not you. And then we all talked about yeah. it and they were like, yeah, my burnout is, I'm like feeling burnt out. Like it's manifesting in these ways where I'm like, oh, like how much longer of this, you know? One of my friends was like, I'm feeling burnt out and it's coming out in these ways where I'll be studying and then I'll be like, one, I'm not interested in this material. Two, is this how it's gonna be forever? Like you can persist through something if you know there's an end date, but if you're gonna keep going forever and ever, I mean, that's, that's a terrifying thought. Mm -hmm. yeah. And he was having that thought. He was like, is this what my life is gonna be like? It's not just M1 year, because they say it's gonna get worse next year, and then it's just gonna keep getting worse. And I'm like, mm -hmm. is that really what I'm signing up for? And it's this like downward spiral. It just spiral. shows how much you need a break, because you guys haven't had a break yet, other than a week here and there. We had a you know? week, yeah. We're in our like longest block, so it's And you're in weeks. the hardest unit, too. Really so hard. when you're like doing the hardest thing, learning the hardest material, they're learning like the brain and like neuro and, and muscles and muscles right now, which is definitely yeah. the hardest material you learn. And then when you haven't had a break and it's just like, you feel like your brain's going to explode. Yeah. That is the only way to describe it. You just yeah. literally feel like if you shove a single other piece of information in, like it's just going to shut down. Yeah. So I can totally see how burnt out everyone's probably feeling. We're not class. doing well. Yeah. But it's going to be fine because we have a break coming up. So at least there's something in sight. But I've been thinking about that with like COVID and how, you mm -hmm. know, people are feeling COVID fatigue because how are we going to persist through this? Like mm -hmm. someone, one of my friends was telling me she had listened to a podcast where they were saying that COVID, like we, it's going to exist for our whole generation. And mm -hmm. I, that concept just like stressed me out, but it's true, <laughs> yeah. but it's just something that we don't want to think about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if we think of like our brains, like a room or a storage box, and we can only fit so much information in at once. Mm -hmm. So yeah. you're in school, you're learning a ton, shoving information in, shoving information in. Then the idea of that meeting Mm -hmm. or seeing a friend, yeah. you're taking in information. Even if it's silly, yeah. playful, fun information, right. you're taking in information. And I think maybe 
another form of burnout can be like your body naturally resisting taking in more information yeah mm. like I just don't know if we can handle it and then so things like gardening like the past three weekends I'm outside alone in yeah. dirt for like four hours <laughs> no one talks to me but you don't it, have to think about it you no. just yeah. do yeah you just live yeah yeah it's it's almost like it's draining my like not so important information and storing the actually important things. Yeah, yeah. So I think those kind of practices of mindfulness and being present, meditating, mm-hmm. they're really good for actually like learning what you do and what you don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Because you can study for five hours and retain like 10% of it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So Um, do you guys have any advice for people who are maybe feeling like they don't know their purpose, they don't understand their passion, or they just love everything and they are in that boat of like, well, I could do anything. Yeah. Um, And I can't wrap my head around how you guys found what you love and I still have no idea. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you have advice for those kind of people right now? I would say whatever makes you like really excited, even if it scares you, like just try to pursue it still. And you don't have to be excited about one thing. Like my brother's into graphic design, but he also loves kayaking and he's gonna graduate college in the next semester. And he's like, I think I might just like kayak guide for a couple of years, but he's like, but I also really love marketing. So I wanna do that. Like he's, he always inspires me because he, loves so many things like he's one of those people that's just like I can't pick one thing like I love too many things so he kind of just got in this mindset of like I'm just gonna do it I'm just gonna do the things I love I don't care if they don't line up with each other if they don't like look like if it looks like I'm just doing random things maybe on the outside but to him he it makes sense and they start blending together because yeah. if he, he's someone who loves the outdoors and being outside and loves marketing and he wants to work in marketing for a company like North Face that advertises outside so like everything starts tying together when you start to explore your different passions and I feel like we felt that with starting the podcast too like I was I had no idea how I was gonna pursue medical history in like my own career going into medicine Mm. and I wanted to learn more about feminism and I'm interested in being an OB-GYN so I wanted to learn more about women's health and like that was something that just thinking about all different things where I was passionate about and kind of like bringing it into one thing where I never thought it would make connections and I still find that like I met with a physician the other day and we were just talking about random things and we found out that he's really interested in medical history and does medical history research and offered to mentor me on doing my own research in it and i was like how did i get here like i didn't even come to talk about this so just being like shameless and that you are passionate about multiple things and it's okay if they don't line up because sometimes i feel like weird telling a physician that i'm interested in history because they're like why are you interested in history sometimes if they don't understand so just being shameless and that you do have multiple passions and it's okay to not know how you're going to explore them, but just spend the time doing it and you'll see how they come together mm-hmm. in the end. Yeah. Yeah. I totally <laughs> resonate with that. And I've been hearing that advice actually a lot from people. Like I've been reaching out to a lot of older students and physicians mm-hmm. and trying to just like explore more of my interests. And they've been telling me the same thing is like mm-hmm. when you try to curate what you think you need to do, that's when you actually end up in a hole. And I mm-hmm. noticed that like, For example, when we were applying to medical school and going through college and we were two people who like we always gassed each other up and like chased passions Mm -hmm. and they were so different, but they overlapped in many ways. And so, you know, we were able to help each other. But we I've we've seen our friends kind of checklist 
life Mm -hmm. and they end up maybe not as happy as they wanted to be. Mm -hmm. And so the advice I've been getting is like you made it here because of your passion. So keep choosing them. And for Charlotte kind of touched on like, oh, if you love a lot of things, here's what you can do. And my idea is like, oh, if you don't know what you like and you are trying to figure it out, I think something that I've been doing recently um, is when an opportunity presents itself, for example, there's like two options of things you could do. One is like, oh, you think it'll like push your career forward. And the other is just something that you really care about. It's weird, but you should choose the thing that you care about because ultimately when you make it to a point where like you have to explain how you ended up in this space, you could be genuine about it and be like, I had this decision and I actually ended up choosing this because I feel really strongly about it Mm -hmm. because of X, Y, and Z reason. Yeah. Like I, a tangible example is like I, Um, wanted to start getting involved in some kind of research project and I'm really passionate about women's health as we know and I was a birth doula in college so I would support pregnant moms during labor and delivery and I wanted to continue doing something in that realm of like women's health and I'm amazed (laughs) I literally could start crying I can't believe you've been a birth doula I'm just like, like Brianna's face right now. I think I need to pause. I'm just like, oh my gosh, I think that's amazing. No, I've literally said since I was like 16, I was like, one day I'll be a doula. Like oh gosh, I, even in grad it. school, I was like, one day I'll be a doula. You can I do don't. It now. I know. I was like, I don't want to be a doctor. Like I've yeah. always known I did not want to be a doctor, but I've always, I've always said, I'll be a doula one day. Maybe when I'm older, after I'm done with my career, I'm done having kids, and then I'll have the credibility and the knowledge to be a doula. You didn't even freaking care. <laughs> you were like, fuck it, I want to be a doula, and you were like, how old? 23. Oh my gosh. Like, you just inspired me. Like, that's another example of me having a passion, something I've loved since I was like 16. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, no, who am I? Who am I to want that? Maybe when I'm older. Right. Maybe when I'm more credible. Well, it's also interesting that you say, like, oh, maybe when I'm credible, like, maybe after I've had kids and I have this experience. Checklist life. (laughs) Right, right. It's like, oh, this is, like, the trajectory I think I need to go Mm -hmm. down. But honestly, like, I challenge you to, like, pursue this because, one, it's actually quite easy to get doula trained. I thought it was very involved. But there's several layers. There's different, um, like, strata. So there's one layer, which is, like, the basic layer of, like, it's honestly a three-day training. And you can get trained. And then you're a certified doula like you could go out and do it that's kind of scares me (laughs) we'll see but the thing is and I know that it's intimidating and I do think the other piece of advice honestly is to just do the thing like my first birth that I attended I was terrified terrified but because I didn't feel like I actually learned anything in doula training no because you're not responsible for any kind of medical care which is good you're not qualified Mm -hmm. to give medical advice but you are this kind warm person and honestly something that I had heard from the first women's studies class I ever took, it was taught by a nurse midwife who like works with a lot of doulas and she kind of introduced me to doula care and I was like, this is amazing. And something she said was doulas are like a drug and if you just have one, you already feel better. So Mm -hmm. it's the idea of just having someone present who's not in your family there at your birth, their presence alone 
decreases pain, increases serotonin, like helps with the birthing process and just leads to healthier outcomes. And this is like scientifically proven, like there's literature on this. Yeah. And so it's not even, that made me feel better. Cause I was like, I don't know what I'm doing, but me just being here is an asset in some way to this mom. Mm -hmm. And then you bring your own personality to it. And like my first birth, I was, like the mom, she was having like a vaginal birth after cesarean. So those are like really, they're not super common and only like really big institutions or institutions that feel solid will have those. Yeah, they're not even recommended. Yeah, like yeah. They're one of the most not recommended. Uh, yes, yeah. <laughs> but she was having a VBAC and so like she wanted to do it unmedicated and all this stuff. And then eventually she like made it to a point where she couldn't handle the pain, which is really valid. And so she got an epidural. And I remember it had been like a, sh a night and day shift. It was like panic, panic, panic. Like everyone is like stressed. And then she got the epidural and it was like really late at night. And her husband was asleep and we just sat there. And I just sat with her and mm -hmm. we talked about attachment theory <laughs> um, and like the different stages of attachment and like how you can have like a solid attachment to your baby or like an avoidant attachment. And, and I was like drawing on the few psych classes I had taken at that time because I was only a junior in college. Mm -hmm. But I remember that so clearly and I'll like never forget her. Her name was Lisa and her baby was beautiful and I cried <laughs> at the birth. Um, but I only had three days of training, but it was that the honestly being there was like, it taught me everything I had to know. And then every birth after that, it's like learning where the remote is, like how to call a nurse when you need them, like how to get the, where's the water machine? Where are the warm towels? Helping them pee if they don't have a catheter. <laughs> right, right. Or like just different positions and like ways to relieve pain. And those things all come with like experience and time. So like, just getting your foot in the door is honestly the first step and it's enough. And so that kind of ties back to like passions, right? And mm -hmm. like, what can you do? And if you're presented with an option, for example, my research option, I was passionate about doula care and I thought I wanted to like pursue that and do a research project in it. And then I had a mentor who was open to having that. Um, but then I also, in a totally different realm, like kind of became interested in it's so random, bariatric surgery. And like we had a, it's cause we were in that block and we were talking about bariatric surgery. And mm -hmm. a question that I had was like cultural considerations when we think about post-surgery like diets because mm -hmm. bariatric surgery patients live on a very strict diet of what you can eat. Cause mm -hmm. now your stomach is like literally this big. Yeah. So they can't eat much, but I'm wondering, like, you know, thinking about like different cultures and if people of mm -hmm. different cultures are included in considerations for those diets and if that's a barrier to care and like you know there's those two projects that i they're so different and i got advice from an older student of like she basically was like you have to pursue your passions and that's what got me to like match at wherever and go into like this specialty mm -hmm. And I was like, you're right. And then I had this aha moment where I was like, I have to drop one of these. And it's weird because I did love my doula work so much, mm -hmm. but like I have to drop this project because I feel more strongly about this one for several reasons. But like, that's just how it is. And you know, mm -hmm. like you kind of assess and then you move forward. Yeah. And it's like a weird thing to have to do, but. Yeah, and you meet people you meet people in high school who say, I'm going to be this kind of doctor. Right, right. Mm -hmm. And you're just like, okay. <laughs> and like, honestly, yeah. you can get into medical school and you might not even be allowed to go that direction sometimes, right? Because right? mm -hmm. aren't your, if you want to be a surgeon, you don't always get to pick which surgical route you go. Right. It's like, a match. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
It is. And there's, I mean, you match into something, so you like pick the program, but you really have to be intentional and like know what you want. And that's what's hard because people don't always know. And some people like match and then like wish they had matched into yeah. something different, et cetera, et cetera. Like, I feel like some people will look at others, like they see their med school, they're like, man, they got it all figured out. I have friends who don't no. have a clue, not even like an inkling of a clue of what they want to do in their medical school. And they're like, I just knew I wanted to be here, but now I don't know what I want to do now. Right. I had people okay. in my grad program like that. Yeah. I had people in my grad program who were telling me what they're going to go back to school for. Mm -hmm. For philosophy, one of, the, one of my <laughs> yeah. classmates. Like studying prosthetics and orthotics is like, yeah, I know I'm going to get a master's in philosophy in a couple years. I'm like, yeah. You're, what about residency? And they're like, I'm going to finish residency because I like finishing things. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, like, what? Okay. But I think it's so easy to look at other people and then you feel stressed about your passions. You're like, yeah. man, I don't have it figured out at all. But then you look at someone and you're like, man, they really have it figured out. But then that person's sitting there like, I don't have it figured out at mm -hmm. all. So I think people who are nervous about what they want to do and just like, I have been practicing really hard, like not comparing myself to others. And yeah. that's, I think, a huge component of figuring out what your passions are. Because if you might feel like not validated in what you're interested in because it doesn't compare to someone, this person standing next to you. But that doesn't matter. Like they're not in your life. Even right. if they're your best friend, like that's okay. You don't have to be like them. Um, I know that's something like was really, it's really hard. I find like most of my friends are in medical school. So we talk about this a lot that you compare because we're all in the same path but it's also a different path. So you cannot compare each other. Like, so that's something I've practiced the last couple of years. And it, I feel like that's how we got here with the podcast. Like mm -hmm. no one else is doing that. All of our friends are shook that we spend our time <laughs> yeah. doing this. And if I had let people's ideas of what I should be doing dictate like the path I was taking, then we never would be like sitting right here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Not at all. I love that. And <laughs> I'm thinking too about, you know, a friend we have in common, mm -hmm. Lexi, and she's just inspired me since mm -hmm. I've met her. Like Lexi is the kind of person who she did a career center in high school and she went there to learn cosmetology stuff. Mm -hmm. And then she did not think that after that she'd become a cosmetologist mm -hmm. and she loved it. So she started doing hair and like everyone loved her. And mm -hmm. so she stuck with that for a few years. And on the side, she started learning how to make earrings. Yeah. And like, she was just, always into earrings. Like she took jewelry art classes in high yes. school, like always was really into making like her own art and like wanting to pursue art, but not and really photography. knowing what to do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she just does everything she wants yeah. and she does it. And like for being from Bay City, like that's, I don't know how you feel, but I don't know many people who like do things that they're, passionate about yeah. like that mm -hmm. everyone is not everyone but a lot of people I knew were very checklist life and so to see Lexi doing that then the last time she did my hair she's like yeah pretty soon I think I'm just gonna quit my job and I'm gonna focus completely on my earring business wow. and I'm like really it's just said, yeah yeah I'm gonna and do that's that what she's done <laughs> it's what she's doing she quit her job and now she I mean her business her earring business is her job her it's earring business, business it's completely thriving and yeah. she has an associates in business and marketing and she gets to use it now for her own small business. But mm -hmm. at the time, she told me a few different times, I don't know why I'm getting this associate's degree. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she did not like it. She was like, God, I don't want to go to school. Like, yeah. I hate school. I'm like, that's okay. You don't have to like school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But she's just like, I get it paid for. So yeah. I might as well finish. Um, but she just inspires me. Anyone who does what they love inspires me. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to get better about doing all those things myself because I don't know, a lot of reprogramming going on. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's one of the hardest things, too, is 
like because we're saying we're sitting here as like three people who are like yeah we're like trying to do what we love yeah we all have the privilege of going to college and we all have a degree yeah Mm -hmm. but like that is a really privileged space to be in like we are very lucky that we can pursue our passions in the context of like other things that are going to also be beneficial for us but not everyone has that and mm-hmm. and so I recognize that that's difficult too is like having the ability to just chase your passions yeah that's I mean not something that I ever really thought I could do and I think it's also like you're saying like pre like reprogramming understanding that I can pursue passions within a larger context of also you know fulfilling obligations that you might have mm-hmm. like we have obligations to other people in our lives, our families, like that's a big one for a lot of people. And, you know, you want to balance pursuing things you love and, you know, fulfilling that obligation. Mm-hmm. Passions cost money. Yeah. That too. <laughs> yeah. <do>. yeah. <laughs> so passions cost money. And I always worked in undergrad, but I used to think way too far ahead. So on that checklist life, I'm like, mm-hmm well, I could save my money now and start saving for grad school Mm -hmm. or I could spend it on this thing that might bring me temporary joy. That's literally how I viewed passions. And it's just super funny how like my mindset has completely shifted. And now I'm like, yeah, I'm not saving the way I ideally would have, you know, but I'm definitely spending on things that bring me joy, like garden seeds. I don't know. Like like, little things like that. I spent I spent a hundred dollars on plants a couple weeks ago. <laughs> plants are the best. <laughs> but plants bring so much joy. They like do. I have this huge plant I got at Eastern Market and I got it before I moved in with my roommate I live with now and she joked, she's like, man, you love that plant. She's like, he's got a new leaf today. I'm like, I know. <laughs> and it's so exciting. And we just like joke about it, like how much just the little things are like really fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I get to nurture it. You know, yeah. I literally can treat my plants like actual like kids. And so <laughs> yeah. that desire that I had for like, oh, by the time I'm 24, I need to have kids and need to be married like that was such a dangerous path I was very stuck on and mm-hmm. like now I'm here and I literally am like maybe I'll have kids in five to ten years but like I, I could never even imagine not waiting yeah. five years yeah like I couldn't even imagine it yeah. and that's where we get into the topic of health mm-hmm. because women are on a biological clock yes. and so there's the social pressures of every time you see family and friends Oh, how are you and your boyfriend doing? When are you going to get engaged? When are yep. you going to have kids? All the, those questions are hard enough. Like the social pressures are real, yeah. mm-hmm. but there is a biological clock and that's what's really difficult. So do you guys have any perspectives on that stuff too? Yeah. I feel like we get faced with that a lot. Yeah. Um, I know Alicia was interested in going to medicine for a long time throughout your life and I was the same way. We both have physicians as parents, which I think is an influence in that as well, but I feel like even when I was in high school, people would be like, oh, you're interested in And I'm like, oh, I think I might be interested in going into medicine. And I find like science really interesting and I find medicine really interesting. And they'd be like, well, like, how are you going to get married then? And I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> and like, that wasn't the question you asked me yeah. originally. And like, I still get faced with that a lot. And like, I talk with um, like other female students, like female identifying students in med school about it. And some of us talk about like, some people don't want to have kids and don't want to get married. And like, so it's stressful and that's someone's first question to like a medical student of like, well, how is your career going to get in the way of you having kids? And I'm like, you don't think I already think about that? Like yeah. now you're bringing that up too? Thanks. <laughs> yeah, like those are definitely worries. Mm-hmm. And I know people in medical school who have children and it's hard and things like that. 
Um, and then I think about like fertility is a really big specialty now yeah. that you could, you could like freeze your eggs and you could do things that changes the biological clock, but that's expensive. And like, those are very privileged things to do. It's a very privileged side of healthcare. And there are like many sides of healthcare that you can only access if you have the money and like you live in that type of area. Um, infertility is one of those things. So you're either stuck in the biological clock and you got to work with it or I don't know. Like, I don't even know what, I, what to do yet, yeah. but I, I feel that pressure too, I guess. Yeah. yeah. A lot of people do. <laughs> I have a friend who's 26 and she's amazing. I don't know if you guys have ever seen Marissa Kamel. Mm-mm. Okay, she's actually from Bay City too, but she lives in Detroit. And um, Marissa decided when she was 24 that she was going to tell her boyfriend, hey, I am ready to have a kid. Mm-hmm. And for insurance purposes, this is the only thing that makes sense. She's like, biological clock, and I'm about to get off my parents' insurance. Mm-hmm. We should have our kid this year. Mm-hmm. And they weren't married. <laughs> and he wasn't even sure if he wanted to be a dad. Yeah. But she was just like, I. it's so innately in me that I'm ready to be a mother. She's like, that. I know I could co-parent with you. And she's like, and even if you didn't want any involvement, um, I want to have this kid for myself. Mm -hmm. And after three months of them talking, he agreed and she got pregnant and like didn't have any rush or feelings about getting married and didn't Mm -hmm. even care about any of that. Like the biggest thing for her was, I want to have a kid now. And if I never have a kid again, I'm fine with that. Yeah. But I'm at a, yeah, she's like, I'm at a stable point in my life where I'm going to do that. She said the pushback she got from, like, everyone who loved her was just really hard. Like, how irresponsible that was of her. Even though she made the decision, like, I'm at this point in my life where I want to do this now. Yeah. She made a tangible decision. With her partner. Yeah. Right. (laughs) That was talked about. Like, it's not reckless Agreed upon. Yeah. And, like, she has the agency to do that, right? Like, Mm -hmm. she – it's her body. It's her choice. And if she feels like she's ready, then she should and did. Mm -hmm. Um, But – like that's something that we talk about a lot is like what social pressures do we live under like what social eye are we like abiding by and how do our choices either push back or stay within those norms yeah and that's huge yeah and like good for her and it's exhausting to push social norms like that it's so tiring you know like we talk about that all the time it's such a hot topic in Gen Z and on social media to like push norms which is great and like needs to be done but it's exhausting mm-hmm. yeah. like my roommate and I talk about that a lot that sometimes it's exhausting to be aware it's exhausting to be advocates for people and you want to do it because you love it and you're passionate and it's important but sometimes you're just tired and like so that's even more inspirational to see like your friend doing that and just mm-hmm. being like I know people are gonna think like bad things about me but I'm gonna do it anyway and yeah. push past that barrier and even if it's hard in that moment like I'll appreciate it later yeah. and maybe inspire someone else to like go forward with the same thing mm-hmm. yeah. she act- she also just had a double mastectomy because oh. she was positive for the BRCA gene oh. um and that was another thing too she just did that yeah, social norms, pressure, yeah. what it means to be a, a, woman, a woman and feminine. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the comments, she's got a huge Instagram platform. Mm-hmm. And the, some comments are just mean because she also has alopecia. I think oh. I know who you're talking yes. about now, actually. So it's just alopecia. Alexis photographs her a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so all these different barriers of like her just living her life, being herself, and doing her thing. And the way that a platform can also be a place for people to feel comfortable enough to say something bad. Mm -hmm. It's just so, I just think it's wild the way the world works. Mm -hmm. And if anyone who's willing to put their voice or themselves out there and actually say how they feel and what they think is super powerful. Yeah. Yeah. So 
yeah, you guys are doing it. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> trying. Yeah, we're trying. We're not perfect at it, but we're doing it. No. Yeah. yeah. And do you both want to go into women's health still now that you started medical school? Yes and no, I think. Yeah. yeah I like, think, well, I think that's like an interesting question. And mm-hmm. it's like the phrasing of the question, right? Like, do you want to go into women's health? And it's right. like, actually, women's health is is medicine is medicine <laughs> yeah yeah yes. so when you said like oh do you want to go into women's topic. health i'm like wait yeah yeah i, I definitely do because i, yeah. I want to incorporate women's health into whatever practice i end up in is that obstetrics and gynecology i don't know maybe i have mm-hmm. to explore that still um but i a hundred thousand percent want to incorporate like feminist views and women's health into whatever i do yeah for yeah. sure and that's a huge thing like I mentioned my, my roommate was a women's studies major at Michigan, and now she's in medical school. And she wants to be a plastic surgeon, but she's extremely passionate about women's health. So then you're like, what, women's health, plastic surgery. But like, when you think about it, like, women's health is medicine. Like, medicine has been framed as men's health, which is a huge problem that people are trying to overcome and integrate women's health into medicine more. So it's not just OB-GYN. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think both of us do want to pursue women's health, but. Through what? Who knows? Yeah. yeah. That's such a great like audit, even for me. Mm-hmm. So thank you for that. Yeah. And man, I never thought about medicine as just considered a men's thing. Yeah, yeah, a lot. It's something we definitely want to get into more on the podcast too. Like we have so many topics we want to get to. So hopefully this goes on for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way that medicine has been studied and human bodies have been studied through dissection and whatever throughout the last centuries and millennia has been a lot on men's bodies and women's bodies were assumed to be the same as men or they haven't been studied and like um, a big thing in research now is there needs to be more women in research um, even as something as small as like there needs to be female rats mm-hmm, in like yeah. rat research you can't just use male rats because hormones are important like things like that so a lot of research in how medicine has been formed has to do with the male body and how but the female body is so different because of hormones and because of just a lot of things. Mm-hmm, yeah. um, so that's something that medicine's trying to be better about for sure is thinking about women, how women are affected. I know like classes will sometimes bring up specifically how something affects a woman um, and bringing it into health more. And I hear that from a lot of female physicians who maybe work in cardiology but they view it as really focusing on women's health because women experience cardio issues different than men and like things yes. like that so yeah yeah it's we, all changing a yeah lot. yeah that's amazing have you heard of the book masters of sex no i might have okay i might have it's about um Ma- masters and johnson oh yes okay. yeah <laughs> i was like i'm like something about this sounds familiar <laughs> yes yes yeah she started out just as a student um mm-hmm. not even for him Like one of her jobs was just pretty much his receptionist. Mm -hmm. And he loved the way that she could communicate with people. Mm -hmm. So he decided, actually one of his, I don't know what to call them, test subjects, one of his patients who he was experimenting on, it was all a little bit illegal at the beginning. So one of his patients, she said, you really need to add a woman onto your team. A female's perspective Mm -hmm. would be huge for your research. And I think it'd be really more comfortable for me too if you had a woman in the room with you. And so he he thought about it a bit and he's like, I know who. And then he invited her to join his team. But that was like even a big beginning of women's health. And that was what 19, I mean, 1950s, 60s. This is later. This is way too recent for them to even discover that women have orgasms. Yeah. 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 (laughs) It's 
Now, Masters and Johnson, they did, like, interesting work because they, like, pioneered sexual health, but then also did it in this way that kind of made it very categorical of, like, okay, so there's, like, the buildup, and then there's mm-hmm. the climax, and then there's the refractory period and it made it seem very cyclical like it always is the same and so I think even though they did all this groundbreaking work we have to look at it from a critical perspective and think about what they lacked and it's that idea right of not every body is the same everyone's like cycles work differently and like we can't fit into certain categories Mm -hmm. and I think we try to like move away from a categorical mindset and more of a spectrum mindset and I think wherever you land there's more space there for you, which is cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, For sure. You have to know the flaws in research to do more research on it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, thank you guys. I want to wrap up with the last thing too. And for me, the last thing I want to touch on is Mm -hmm. the seven steps of feminism. (laughs) (laughs) Alicia talked a little bit about seven steps of feminism that she wants everyone to ponder or consider. Mm -hmm. And so I'd like that to be the final no and what that means to you too and how other people, everyone, not just, you know, any person can implement Mm. these. Yeah, I actually think, so there's seven like strategies to analyze a topic from a feminist perspective, but I honestly think like a lot of them you can kind of group. So we can do like three, three rules of thumb for tackling something from a feminist lens. Mm -hmm. So do you want to say the first one? Yes, the first one, which I will say before I learned these rules of thumb, I guess, like Alicia taught them to me because it's not even like, in school, I learned them, and I feel like it should be taught. I don't even know where it would be taught, but it's a great way to look at life. Um, so the first one is like considering who's not there, who's not in the room right now. Like when we're talking right now, like who's not with us, or when you're looking at literature and you're reading about something that happened in history, like who isn't there, and just um, always considering like who are we missing in the conversation, and then thinking about why aren't they here? What are the barriers of them not being right. here? What would they add in the conversation if they were here? And how is that going to change what we're talking about? So it really gives you like it takes this small idea you're looking at and makes it huge because now you're considering all these different lenses that you weren't thinking about before. So we do that a lot in say looking, we look at history a lot. Looking at history and looking for women's health as history is really hard because people didn't write about women's health. They didn't look at women in that way that they were important enough to write about. So we're always reading literature of like who's missing or people of other races and ethnicities and different identities throughout history Mm -hmm. weren't written about as much. So then you have to really critically look at those kind of things. And that's what we do in our podcast is who is in the room and why aren't they there and what are they doing right now that there right. isn't being talked about and how can we figure that out and talk about that. So that's something we think about in our podcast, but also in daily life, just any conversation yeah. is an important thing. Yeah. It's really important and it's really exhausting. Yes. <laughs> because <laughs> it does kind of make you on defense for like well, here's all the variables of what you just said mm-hmm. and all the things you have to consider and all the people who matter. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that is super important and very sometimes it's tiring. If, if your heart, you got to put so much heart into it. Yeah, yeah. for yeah. sure. No, definitely. And like we talk about that, especially in like intersectional feminism and this idea of like there's feminism and then, you know, there's intersectional feminism, which is looking at a person's experiences from Traditionally, it's like all the ways in which they experience oppression, but I think more broadly, like the way that we kind of understand intersectional feminism now is like the ways that your identities 
come together to impact the way you in like interact with the world mm -hmm. and so I think that's also interesting is when we think about like oh I'm having this interaction with this person what where do they come from what is their background what mm -hmm. ideas are they bringing to the table and thinking about people from an intersectional lens of like, okay, their background, their ethnic background and their gender and their religion and their hometown, like all those things come together to change mm -hmm. the way that mm -hmm. you interact with them. Mm -hmm. So we talk about intersectional feminism a ton. Um, the other rule of thumb is thinking about how we're socialized and what social, what are ideas that we have about people that are socially constructed? Because most things are not actually fact. Like mm -hmm. the fact that water boils at like 100 degrees Celsius is a fact, but the concept of time is a social construct. Mm -hmm. Like we have decided that gender at a time was binary, but now it's changing and we're thinking about things on more of a spectrum and there's mm -hmm. less categories. And so what are ideas that we have socially constructed and how can we recognize like, oh, you know, we're talking about this idea, but actually is that a fact or is that the way that I've learned about what this idea is? Mm -hmm. So it's like, how do we construct our realities? Mm -hmm. And thinking about that when you're thinking about an issue is really important. Mm -hmm. And then the last thing is to think about power dynamics because we are existing in worlds where there is power dynamics wherever you go. Mm -hmm. And specifically thinking about what I was saying before about agency and like women and individuals having agency and having resilience in spaces of social constraint. That's the big idea is like, how do we choose to make, how do we make choices in the limitations that we're put under. Mm -hmm. So, and then how do power dynamics play into that? Because mm -hmm. power dynamics are part of those social constraints. So those are the three, I think like big rules of thumb is like, who's missing? What are the socially constructed ideas around this thing that we're talking about? And who is making choices here? And under what conditions are they able to make those choices? Mm -hmm. Those are three like, quick things that you can do to analyze any situation from a feminist perspective. And it, like, I think feminism gets kind of a bad rap sometimes of like, oh, these are these like man hating women who, et cetera, et cetera. And I think if you take a step back and actually look at what feminism means, it means different things to everyone. And that's what's beautiful about it is we can accept everyone's views mm -hmm. and challenge each other to push a little more on the boundaries and like be more inclusive and like find gender and moral and social equity. Like that's what's cool about feminism today or at least how I see it is it's this confluence of those things. Mm -hmm. So that's what we try to do in our podcast. Yes. From certs to scrubs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so if you are interested in any of those things and even if you aren't interested, I think that anyone could benefit from going and listening yes. to your podcast, hearing mm -hmm. you guys talk, the way you guys even just interact with each other and interview each other. It's really playful, it's fun, it's approachable, and you're gonna learn a lot. So please, I hope you enjoyed this talk. I yeah, hope you, thank you. <laughs> hope you, you go so look them up online and maybe yeah. even they can be your healthcare providers one day. One so, day. Yes, yeah. one day. Yeah. <laughs> one Find day. Us in ten years. In, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys so thank much. Thank you for having us. Yeah.
And thank you to our listeners for checking out this bonus episode. I hope you liked it as much as we did. Remember to subscribe to From Skirts to Scrubs on your favorite podcasting app and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And you can also leave us a rating on Spotify. And with that, we will see you next time. Bye, everyone. Bye.